as the world becomes borderless for us remote workers and people with borderless money, we don't see the borders anymore. And because of that, the borders will start to fall. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing today? I think I know. You hodlers must be feeling pretty good, right? Now, I've just woke up to a 4K green candle and Bitcoin is threatening to take 40K again. This is why we Bitcoiners say hodl, don't trade and avoid leverage. We're playing the long game here. And if you are new, I know these wild swings can be scary, but in good time, you will embrace them. Bitcoin is still growing. We're very early and there will only be 21 million. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with Katie the Russian, where we're discussing flag theory and fuck you passports. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And today we're kicking off with Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lloyd's TSB, my bank of 25 years, closed down all of my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin. So Revolut got in touch with me. They reached out and said, Pete, come on, move over to Revolut. It's really easy. And I did. It took me like two hours to transfer everything across. And you know what? Revolut are offering you $20 or £20 if you sign up as a new customer and complete three card transactions. As I said, it only takes a few minutes to set up. And you can create a card and add it to Apple Pay immediately and get that cash in your pocket. But I wouldn't do that. I would convert that straight to Bitcoin. Now, this is a new relationship and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank, which is Bitcoin friendly. There is a lot to navigate, but we are working hard at this. If you want to find out more, please head over to Revolut.com forward slash WBD, which is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have BlockFi, who are pleased to announce that they have launched their BlockFi rewards visa signature card now for people in the us who own or are interested in owning bitcoin or just stacking more sats the block five rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn bitcoin because you get 1.5 percent rewards back with every card purchase also there's no annual fee how cool is that but not just that you can get 3.5 percent back in bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership and everything you spend over 50,000 annually We'll get 2% back. If you want to find out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And with Ledger, I have been a customer since early 2017, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then for over four years now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Also, let's talk about Gemini, my exclusive exchange sponsor. The only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. I'm not selling any Bitcoin. I'm not an idiot. I'm only buying. And I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips. But I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I am yet to see a better or easier interface for doing this. Now, with their streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Okay, so onto the show today, and I've got my friend Katie, the Russian, on to talk about Plan B Passports, which is her company. Now, this show, this show is going to sound a little bit advertorial, but I love Katie and I love what she's doing, and I know you would too. So I wanted her to come on and tell the story. And as you'll hear, I'm kind of like buying into it during the show. Now, Katie sets out to provide people with a second citizenship and accelerate the sovereign individual thesis by enabling people to vote with their feet and move jurisdictions or alternatively, just hold multiple passports so you're not locked into a single country. Now, this is something I've been thinking about more and more. With the stringent rules around COVID and it just becoming increasingly obvious that governments all around the world have no fucking clue what they're doing, I have been looking for options outside of the UK, and I've instructed KT to look at this for me. No discount, no benefit, nothing. I just love her. She's amazing. I want her to be super successful. That's why I asked her on the show, and that's why I asked her to come and talk about Plan B Passports. It's really cool what she's doing. I know you guys are going to love it. So definitely go and check out her website after the show. All the links are in the show notes. Just one note, I seem to have set up my audio wrong in this one. I seem to set up my ear pods as the audio input. So the sound isn't as good as normal, but I think you'll get by with this. Anyway, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. You can hit me up on my email address, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. All right, on to the show. Hope you enjoy this one. Katie, the most delayed interview ever. How are you? 
I'm pretty good. Glad to be here. How are you? I'm good. How many times have I cancelled on you for this? Is it three, four? Somewhere around that, but it was all good. It actually, every time it worked out for me as well. So, Well, listen, this is a hot topic. Uh, we've spoken about it before. My other podcast, Defiance, we made a show about different kind of uh, uh, arrangements people are looking into, uh, migration of people. I've spoke to a few guests, but not all Bitcoiners listen to my other show. And I, I know a lot of people have an interest in this subject of multiple passports, especially over this last couple of years where people have been locked down in countries, haven't been able to to go anywhere, specifically felt like their home is a prison. And you are the person I know who knows most about this. So it's great to get you on to talk about this on the show. I've also like I've also sent people your way because people have asked me about this and the work you're doing. So it's great to see you. And it's great to get you on to talk about this, Katie the Russian. Um, I think a good starting point for this is you call it flag theory. Is that your is that like an international definition or is this like your thing? No, it, it was a thing for a while. And at first it was three flag theory, five flag theory. Now people call it seven flag theory. But I just refer to that as a flag theory. By my own definition of it, uh, the idea behind the concept is to limit your dependency on any one particular state, as well as to stack flags in the jurisdictions that might be beneficial for you in various ways for your business, for you personally, for your family lifestyle. Or, or obviously for your tax regime. And it's something you've done yourself personally. You should probably give the uh, background because you yeah, were an well, international sports star. I'm an immigrant myself. Um, so the idea of living in my home country in order to find new challenges, new opportunities, a different lifestyle didn't seem crazy for a 20-year-old Katie at all. So back then, being a Russian tourist in the U.S., I personally started playing jurisdictional arbitrage on a very, very small scale without even realizing it. And as I was doing it, I realized there must be people that has have taken it to a whole another level. And it must be a thing. And sometime later, I stopped upon this concept of flag theory. And I was like, damn it, this really fits my philosophy. Like, this is perfect. I'm going to look more into that. And um, I already got into Bitcoin, so I started meeting different interesting people. And in Miami, I met a Rus another Russian immigrant who was already doing the passport stuff. And the reason he reached out to me is because a lot of his Russian clients started getting at him at like, can, do you accept Bitcoin? Like, can I pay you in Bitcoin? And he knew nothing about it. And the only person he knew who talked about Bitcoin at the time was me. So he basically asked me to help him out with like how to accept payments and all that stuff. And uh, we vibed a lot on the philosophy uh, part of things. And he was like, Katie, you should just open your own company. Like you already know what you're talking about. You totally aligned with the philosophy. And uh, he was working with a Russian speaking community while I right away started working with English speaking community. Well, listen, I get a lot of people approached to come on the podcast, get a lot of emails and most of the time, I know they want to come on, not to really talk about Bitcoin, but to promote their company. It's an opportunity to get in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people. And uh, like, I, I'm aware of that. And I, it's not something I usually buy into. I'm not usually interested with that. But with you, it's like completely the opposite. Because I know what Bitcoiners are like. It was me who approached you and said, you've got to come on the show. Uh, I know what Bitcoiners are like. I know this will be an interesting topic. I know in doing this, you're going to have a whole bunch of people get in touch with you and be interested in that. I'm, we've already spoken about this myself. We're going to role play that. Uh, I would use your service. Absolutely. Uh, I think what you're doing is important and brilliant. So we're going to flip this one. I'm more than happy to promote it. Uh, uh, just be clear. If anyone's thinking Katie is a pay me, she's my friend. How, how long have I known you? Two, three years? Three years, probably. Three, yeah. Ever yeah, since Kirk Wright trial, probably. Oh, shit, yeah. Well, you're my friend, so I, like, I'm more than happy to help you. But it's called a Plan B Passport. It's Plan... P-L-A-N-B-Passport.com, right? Correct. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, listen, look, I love what you're doing. And I know this is a massive added value to Bitcoiners. You are a star Bitcoiner. You're always helping other people. Uh, every time I reach out to you, I'm like, Katie, I'm thinking of getting a new passport. You're always there helping me, etc. So I'm more than happy to help with that. Let's, uh, let's start with you explaining exactly what the company does. 
So um, it starts with a with a Zoom call, basically, or a Telegram call where I don't ask people for their names or any private information because I do want to promote this idea. And I think all Bitcoiners need to get acquainted with that. And basically what we're going through is trying to understand your values, your goals, your needs in life, uh, your family situation and strategize together on what should be or could be your exit plan or your like opting out strategy or plan B. So in this case, like we, we talked about um, all your all your current situations and we try to understand which jurisdiction suits you the best and uh, what is your deadlines, what's the timeline, when you need to start the process, um, how are you in terms of um, having all the documents in place, do you need to start uh, you know, requesting the documents you've, you've lost a while ago. And uh, if we're getting aligned in all that and you're ready to start the process, um, I first do my internal due diligence, basically to protect myself, make sure that you're not an international search. And uh, after that, we enter the agreement and start putting together the paperwork. Uh, that process takes about 30 to 45 days, depending on how quickly you put the paperwork on your side. On our side, we fill up all the government forms, sending it to you uh, to sign. And then 45 days in, we actually submit the application to the island. It takes 90 to 120 days for the island to do the due diligence. And then after that, you put the donation down, which is uh, like four months in, basically. That's for people who are trying to time the market. That's an important point. Like you don't actually put donation down until you already pre-approved by citizenship by investment unit. So four or five months in. Months in. And uh, a few weeks after that, you receive passport in the mail. And which islands are we talking about here? So five Caribbean islands, St. Kitts and Nevis, Antigua and Barbuda, Dominica, Grenada, St. Lucia. I also work with Vanuatu, an island next to Australia. And mm-hmm. um, I work with Portugal Golden Visas. It's not a passport program, but there's been a lot of interest towards Portugal from my audience. So I work with that program as well. So the, these are countries you have direct relationships with that people can get a second passport. What, what does that actually mean for the person? So let's, I'm going to start role-playing some of this through. Uh, I got very frustrated at one point in the last year where I could not travel. I was not allowed to travel. There were flights, but I was not allowed to leave as a British citizen uh, unless I had a passport for another country. Now, I can get an Irish passport, uh, but I've never just never bothered uh, getting it because you know, there isn't a huge amount of benefit. But say I had, uh, I don't know, which is your favorite of those islands? Which would you recommend? Uh, let's say you would get an Antigua passport. Yeah. Okay. So say I wanted an, an Antigua passport. I would, they would have to let me out of the UK, right? Yeah. They can't, they can't keep foreign citizens in the country. And you would basically play your Antigua passport in this game and be like, hey, you, you got to let me out. Okay. So of those countries... Uh, I if by getting a passport, I become a citizen of that country. Exactly. Yeah. And you can have multiple citizenships. I can be a British citizen and an Antiguan citizen. Yeah, there are a few countries in the world that prohibit dual citizenship, but none of this that you've mentioned are part of it. So you would be just fine. Well, because we have listeners globally, which countries do you know definitely don't allow it? Netherlands have an issue with that. Uh, the one that came to mind right now, but it's it's not common thing, so not many countries. Okay, so the second I receive that passport, I can just travel to that country, and I'm the same as any Antiguan resident. I mean, I can't vote, right? Or does it come with voting no, rights? You literally have all the same rights as a Antigua-born citizen at this point. Wow. What about if I have children? Naturalization. Uh, well, you can apply with your children to begin oh. with. Now, if you already have the passport and you have an, a newborn children, um, that will be a little more complicated. They would have to pay, like, for example, with St. Kitts, it would be a $10,000 fee to add a newborn kid into the citizenship as well. But when you, let's say, you applied for Antigua passport now, you would include all your kids as dependents. They wouldn't have to pay any extra donation. It would just be part of your application. Okay, so let's talk through these different countries. I mean, look, with any of those that you've mentioned, um, you're guaranteed uh, beautiful weather, uh, beaches, uh, maybe a couple of storms, good food. You, you're, you're going to live in a paradise, right? I, I, I get all that. Can you talk me through for each of them the 
different like what are the differences is it different costs per place is there benefits to other ones over others yeah so one of the biggest differences right now is St. Kitts and Antigua um, do not tax residents so basically there is zero zero global income tax zero inheritance tax zero capital gains tax no matter if you're a resident or a non-resident of the country with St. Lucia Dominica and Grenada if you're becoming an actual resident of the country, there will be some taxation applied on you. Um, that's one of the biggest difference right now, in my opinion. But also a lot of people strategize based on um, the cost, of course. So for a single applicant, St. Lucia is the cheapest option. It's altogether all things applied, $129,600. But for a family of four, for example, St. Kitts now have uh, has a really good promotion going on family of four can apply for the same price as single applicant so it would be like 180,000 for a family of four so depending wow. on your family situation the difference uh, different costs would apply for sure so i can get a okay okay so for st lucia um it would uh it'd be actually more beneficial to go to st kitts because myself and my kids we could all get passports of residency residency for 180,000. If I was to do it on my own, my kids could still visit, but they would have the restriction of a tourist, right? So they could only come for what, usually 90 days most places. I would honestly include kids as uh, as dependents, just for sake of, let's say something happens with the UK and you're okay, the yeah. one who can escape, but your kids can't. Like, this is not cool, right? You, you want to protect mm -hmm. your family too. And you want to make sure that you guys can travel to the same countries on this extra passport. So for example, Antigua passport would give you countries that you don't have on your UK passport. You would be able to go to Russia with, without visa. Uh, on your UK passport, you can't do that. Mm. Well, I looked at that recently. Because uh, one of the things I was going to do for my for my bag, the thing that kept it in our interview, is I got recommended a guy who's out in Moscow, who's a bit of a, an expert in uh, fixing bags. But uh, I had to get a visa, which I didn't I didn't realize. I think I've got so used to traveling without a visa. I, I mean, I've traveled to a lot of the world. I think definitely a quarter, maybe a third of the countries of the world. And I, I honestly don't remember a time I've ever applied for a visa. Because it's so commonplace these days, you don't have to. But there we go with Russia. I, I did have to get one. Well, as a Russian citizen, I needed a visa everywhere I would go. And funny enough, I would always run into issues with that. And I think the universe was just telling me like about the flag theory when I was 11 and 12. I was applying for like Spain visa to go to a World Cup and I would get denied even though I applied as a like, Russian national team member to go and compete there. And I would have to run to Moscow, like try to apply once again, so I would be able to get there on time for my start, for my competition. So I had a lot of issues with visas as a Rus Russian citizen. So like that was clear for me that I need another passport. And are there any kind of like settlement issues once you've got that passport for consideration? Obviously, if you go and stay in a hotel, you're fine. But I mean... Really, if you're if you if you if I was going to go there for tax purposes, I have to be out of the UK. I think for I think I can only be in the UK for ninety days. Anything more than that, based on my current situation, I would have to pay UK tax if I wanted to reduce my tax burden and have an Antiguan uh, uh, benefit from the Antiguan tax rate uh, zero rates. Uh, I know one restriction I have is maximum ninety days in the UK, but I don't think I could spend the other. As lovely as it sounds, I don't think I would spend the rest of my year in Antigua. If I'm visiting other countries, does there become a situation where I have a tax burden in other countries? Do you know, right? Not at all. Work? Yeah, all you have to do is uh, maintain maintain your non-tax resident in any of high-tax jurisdictions. So let's say you can spend like three, five days in Antigua a year, just maintain your tax residency there. And then for the rest of the year, you're just traveling through U.S., El Salvador, U.K. 90 days, and anywhere else in the world, uh, you're not going to be paying taxes in any of those places. And in the U.K., the process of becoming non-tax resident is pretty straightforward, actually. I was really impressed with what you guys have on the website. Like, there are actual numbers of days you can or cannot spend in the U.K., who you can work for, how it applies to capital gains, which is like not, no other countries even mention capital gains for non-tax residents. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think it's very easy to become a non-tax resident of the U.K., even though you want to spend time there. 
Well, it's, it's an interesting dilemma to, to work through because at some point you can actually do the math and say, well, the 180,000 costs, say, say it was, did you say Antigua's 180,000 or was that St. Kitts? St. Kitts for a family of four would be 180. What's Ant- Antigua sounds a little bit more like my thing. What's the cost for Antigua? Somewhere around the same, 168, maybe. Yeah, see, you start to run the math of like, if you're a business owner, you know, if you operate a business, I mean, I'm not hiding anything people don't already know. I share my income reports up on my website, right? There is, uh, I certainly will pay more than that in taxation over the next year. So then it becomes an absolute tax benefit to base myself that. And listen, look, there's going to be some people listening saying, well, you know, you should be paying your tax and that's the country you've grown up and benefited from. But we can have that debate another time. But uh, it certainly becomes more interesting. I think the UK also has a thing whereby... If I return within five years, uh, any any of my uh, undo any of my capital gains taxes, I have to be away for five years. Anything I release it within five years, it's like it's. I think they've done that so you you don't go off for a year, sell everything, and then come back in a year. I think there's like a five year limit on that. And then the rest of the things they do is based on how many like dependencies you have here. So. If you have children or you own properties or businesses, the more of those you have, the less time you can spend here. But I can easily see myself get into a situation where I'm only here for 90 days. Um, so let's work, let's work through my scenario, Katie. I travel a lot with work, as you know. I spend a lot of time in the US. Um, I pay a lot of tax. Uh, and I want to spend less time in the UK. I don't like what's become of this country. I'm not like a entirely proud British person. I'm proud of what my government's done certainly and I like some of our cultural uh, sense of humor but um, I don't feel a, a desire I need to say it the whole time I spend a lot of time in the US I spend a lot of time traveling through South America um, I don't like being trapped here I want to be able to get into the US as often as I want it, should I be looking at having just one extra passport or should I be considering more than one is there a risk in this flag three or theory of only having, say, Antigua and the UK? Well, um, I think one extra passport would be enough for you just because we have a third flag for all of us, which is a cyberspace where we hold most of our assets and they're very protected there. Like this is the, the ultimate asset protection mechanism that we've got. So that one is covered, basically. Now you have another one for your good tax regime for an opportunity to exit UK in case of lockdowns. Um, so I think that's that would be enough. But then you would need to strategize on like, okay, how do I not become a tax resident of elsewhere? Like, how do I not spend more than 180 days in the US or in any other country that would tax me, my income, my global income and my capital gains? So really, you should not be spending... <laughs> You should keep moving, really. It's not it's not necessarily about moving. It's also about how you how you live in those countries. So let's say you're staying in Airbnb for 90 days in the same city, in the same country. Like it's clearly not your primary residence. You're not trying to live there long term. It's just you're staying in Airbnb. Like that would be considered as a tourist. So I wouldn't mind, like I wouldn't have problem with that. And neither would IRS or any other tax authorities. So they look into the whole situation, the whole picture and see, do you work there? Are you here for work necessarily? Or you just like you're working remotely and you're a tourist? Where is your company set up? So, for example, uh, you live in UK and trying to take a tax advantage of the tax regime of Antigua would mean that you need to move your company as well if it's UK uh, registered right now. Because... Mm -hmm. As a non-resident of UK, you would still pay a UK income tax. Mm-hmm. It would only apply for non-UK or global income tax that you wouldn't pay. So like moving your company to a different jurisdiction would be part of a game as well. Right. So not only am I considering getting the passport, I want to register my company as an Antiguan entity. Or elsewhere. Like that would be another part of strategy. You would look into a corporate tax on different islands or different jurisdictions ah. and would see what what would suit you better there. 
Okay, so so for personal taxation reasons, there's a good there's a very good reason to get a passport in Antigua or St Kitts. But in terms of uh, companies, what have you observed with regards to where a company should be registered? Well, we would definitely need to look at like the income of your company, how it's all structured there. Is this income like is this income just counted as your salary later on? Like all the profits just going to become your salary? Then it's again, it's an income of you as a person. So the company doesn't really make those money. Uh, but for corporate taxation, like I, I cannot come up from with this strategy from the top of my head, but we would need to look into what who would offer the best corporate taxes for you. So if I paid all profits out to myself as income, and that would make sense to go to somewhere like Antigua. Yep. Like, I'm literally figuring this out while we're on the phone, <laughs> whilst we're recording this. I'm like, because I do you know what I was considering? So this, I'll tell you what my original plan was, what I was thinking about this year, is that uh, I need to spend a certain amount of time in the UK because I've got friends and family here, and, you know, and I want to visit it. But the majority of my work is in the US. Uh, I would love to have a studio there to go and record interviews in somewhere like Austin. Um, and also, I'm very interested in everything that's happening in El Salvador. I really like the country. They've opened themselves up to uh, residency for three Bitcoins. So at the moment, it's around $90,000. And they're keeping it fixed at three Bitcoin rather than uh, uh, changing it based on um, uh, the dollar value. And, and let's talk about El Salvador as well in a second. But th that was what I was in my head. So I was thinking I should base myself in El Salvador. I can fly quite easily between El Salvador and Texas to go and record my interviews, and then I can quite easily get back to the UK and visit. But I would set El Salvador as my base. Um, so let's let me ask you about El Salvador because they're kind of new on the map with this idea of a residency. Have you looked much into what they're doing with this? I spent like thirty minutes on a call with their immigration uh, services just last week. Thank God oh, I fantastic. learned some Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you find out about theirs, and how does it compare? So they do not currently have citizenship by investment program, which I think they need to come up with. And like, I want to write a big email and send it to them how they should establish that. Because I think it will be huge value proposition as a lot of Bitcoiners want to go there, but they wanted to have to, to be a citizen of this country and basically exit their current tax regime. And like as Bitcoin becomes a legal tender, like there cannot be any capital gains on money. So that would be a really good option. But right now it's residency. I think it's not bad at all. And there are some real estate options as well. So I'm currently gathering information just so I could deliver it to Bitcoiners in a well-packaged way so they could actually understand what's going on and consider it for themselves. Um, but I think citizenship by investment is something they need to look into, the El Salvadorian government, and just proceed with that. Like That would be the next step, reasonable step for them to you know, invite more Bitcoiners in. I thought that's what they said they were doing, though. It, it was by investment. If you invest three Bitcoin, then you will get citizenship. Residency. And oh. then five years later, you can go through naturalization and become a citizen. Right. So, so you should probably explain the difference. Yeah. Oh, I see. So you can live there. It's essentially like a visa, right? You can live there. Or permanent, you get permanent residency. Yeah. It's like a, a visa for people who actually can stay. Um, and work there and do whatever they want. They will not be able to vote. Um, few more restrictions. Like it's not too far from passport, but it's not a travel document. So basically, this document will only allow you to have rights on the territory of El Salvador, but you cannot use it to go to any other country or do things like that. So that situation where I was trapped in the UK it would not solve that problem. I'm afraid not. Oh, that's really interesting. All right, is there anything else I would have to be considering? Because obviously we've talked about the fact that I'd get a passport and the passport would allow me to get into other countries without a visa. It would allow me to access, uh, sorry, leave the UK as and when I might need to, perhaps me and my children. Um, it's there's essentially a cover for me to move my business. And, you know, we would have to discover, discuss locations where best to register that. What about other things, other assets? What, what consideration should I have for assets? Do you advise people to not have assets in other countries? Would I be best to sell my UK house and just rent when I'm here? Is there things like that you consider and advise on? So one of the um, 
one of the other the other ways to obtain citizenship in all these countries that I mentioned would be a real estate investment. So you not necessarily have to do hundred or hundred fifty thousand dollars donation into sustainable growth fund of the country. You could always purchase real estate. Uh, now most of my clients go with donation program. First of all, the opportunity cost because the check on the real estate would be much higher, two x or three x of the donation amount. Um, and another reason is because most of the countries tell you, like, tell you the list of properties that you can buy. Basically, those properties that are accepted for citizenship by investment, approved for citizenship by investment program. And obviously, like, there is misincentives here. Basically, uh, what properties would they approve for citizenship by investment uh, program? Either those properties that need investment, and without your investment, they won't be completed. Or those properties that are good to go, but then once they're approved, they're skyrocketing in price. They're going 30, 40% on top of the market value. So that's the reason most of my clients go with donation. Obviously, there are a lot of exceptions that I work with, like with um, commercial real estate, for example, Hyatt Hotel in St. Kitts, really popular real estate. And a lot of my clients just go with that. They buy shares of Hyatt Hotel um, and obtain citizenship by investment through that. And then five years later, they just sell it for the same price to a different client who also trying to obtain citizenship by investment through buying shares. So it, for, for people who are looking for some diversity in their portfolio and like, okay, I'm all in, in Bitcoin, like I'm ready to, you know, spread it out and buy some properties, real estate investment is the option. Now you ask me what should be, what, what other things you should consider? I always recommend to get driver licenses from the country that you get in a passport from, open a bank account from this country. Basically, some of the, you know, centralized exchanges, let's say, or any other things you might you might need to work with, ask you for two proof of identities. And now let's say you're like showing them your Antigua passport and then you have no second ID and you have to show them your UK and they're like, oh, we don't really work with UK or we will report to UK IRS right away. Um, so I always recommend to get those two as well. And like, again, this is the flag theory game, like the jurisdictional arbitrage. You go to, I don't know, let's say you go to UK and you get pulled over in the UK. You show them your Antigua driver license, which is totally valid driver license. And there's really big chance that they're just going to let you go because they have no idea what to do with this driver license. And like, that's what my dad does in Russia. He shows them Florida driver license and says that don't speak don't speak Russian American citizen and they let him go. Like, that's about it. That's about as much as he can say. But, you know, jurisdictional arbitrage game. It's, it's, it seems in some ways too good to be, to, to be true, but I guess this is only something that's available to people of a certain income level or, you know, got, got themselves. I mean, this is why it's probably attractive to a lot of Bitcoiners because there are a number of Bitcoiners out there who've seen their wealth grow. Uh, to anything from a comfortable to a very substantial level. And uh, they want a couple of things. Yes, they might want to avoid tax. And I said, look, as I said, some people want, might want to argue that. But they also want privacy. They also want, uh, they also want to get away from the quite, uh, uh, quite substantial overreach of the government that we seem to be seeing in larger countries. Um, do you tend to find that there is, you tend to get more privacy by having more passports. Definitely, definitely. Again, because you have multiple options. Let's say you need to register somewhere and uh, now you have options. Like, do you think they're going to report it to your country as a U.S. citizen or do you think they're going to report it to your, to your country as an Antigua resident uh, and citizen? So, like, now you have two passports and based on your strategy you're either going with one or another. Now opening bank accounts, opening, like getting a PO box for mailing stuff, like you have two passports and that definitely adds an additional layer of like your strategy and what you can play in the moment to get the most privacy or to get, um, you know, confidentiality of some information. For example, as a US citizen, no matter where you open a bank account, it will always be reported to FATCA. And uh, as an Antigua citizen, like it's not the case. Another thing is FIFI countries. 
Are you familiar with this term? Five high countries no. would be like Australia, New Zealand, UK, Canada, US. And all these five countries share all the information on each other, citizens. Like that's the agreement that they have. Um, and like as an Antigua citizen, like they wouldn't share it with any of these countries. Isn't that beautiful? Next up, I talked to Katie more about Plan B Passport, but before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors, and today we're kicking off with Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen, but with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again, because a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. Ones which you get to distribute into different locations, protecting you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, I've been a customer for about a year now, so if you've got any questions, you can hit me up in my emails or my DMs, and I will get back to you. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And next up, we have sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin, and I'm going to be heading over to Estonia sometime soon and catching up with the team. And now, with the Olympics on, sportsbet.io has you covered. They have prepared an amazing calendar for you where you can complete daily missions and get rewards in return. All you have to do is complete the mission of the day. Once done, you will get that reward. Pretty easy, right? So hurry up, join them until August the 8th and enjoy the Olympics even more with sportsbet.io. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And this week we're finishing off with Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. Now, as many of you know, UX is something I whinge about all the time. It's really important to me. We have to make it easier for people to use and understand Bitcoin. So when Exodus reached out and they said, Pete, we want to sponsor the show, I was like, well, come on. I've got to play with it first. And you know what? They killed it. Absolutely crushed it. That is why I am happy to recommend Exodus to my friends, my family, and you out there. Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. Make sure you check it out at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Okay, let's get sorry because like uh, I know we've spoken about this before, but we spoke about it because I was thinking of getting a U.S. residency, which I felt would be you know advantageous for a number of reasons for work. But there are tax uh, advantages to having uh, an Antiguan passport over that. Um, I, obviously, you don't have to reveal all of everything you've done for yourself, but I'm like literally thinking about this. I should just apply for this. So I know you talked about this at the start, but let's. Let's go through again. So if I say, which I think I'm going to actually literally say, okay, Katie, I want an Antiguan passport. Um, I want Antiguan citizenship for me, myself, and uh, my two children. Like, just talk me through it again. What, what's the process we're going to go through? Okay. Uh, the first step, I would definitely send you all the pricing for all five islands so we could look into the comparison for all that. Um, and I'll send you a checklist of all the documents that you would need to prepare for yourself and your kids. Things like birth certificates, diplomas, uh, letters from school, letter from bank, um, proof of funds, source of funds. Basically, they, they're doing a lot of AML work. So they would look into all that stuff as well. Your police records and things like that. And then on our side, we would prepare all the government forms, fill it all up for you. Uh, you would need to notarize and apostolize all the documents that we will ask you for. And it's mostly going to be on you. Your kids need very few documents, um, like medical reports, letter from school, birth certificates. Uh, we would need to uh, get approval from mother of kids. So uh, she allows oh, them to, okay. to get the passport from another country. And then you just send us all the documents. We put the paperwork together and send it to the island and submit the application. Antigua takes about 90 days now. So you pay due diligence fees on the day of application, which is about $20,000. And then we just wait for 90 to 120 days. After that, they send a letter of pre-approval and give you a bank, bank account uh, where to submit the donation. 
You submit the donation. Two, three weeks later, you get the passport. Now with Antigua, there is actually an interesting requirement. They would ask you to come visit the island in the next five years for five days. So that's not that big of a deal, but that's the only island that has this requirement. Yeah, that's amazing there, seriously. Direct flights also from UK, from London to Antigua. That's what I was thinking. Have they got also direct flights to Miami? Yep, every island, basically. Yeah. And uh, um, St. Lucia direct flights to Houston, I believe, also. So. And the UK. I know St. Lucia yeah. does. Um, okay. So so start to finish, is, what's that, six months? Seven yeah. months? That's usually my estimates. Five to seven months. July. So in August, September, October, November, December, January, February next year. By February, March next year, I could be an Antiguan citizen. Sounds pretty cool. Oh, yeah. This is, you know what, that's really interesting as well for the timing for another reason, but I'll tell you about that offline. I'm sorry to anyone listening who's thinking, what the hell are you doing, Pete? But like, it is something that's completely on my radar. I spend so much time abroad and away traveling with work that, I mean, when I'm permanently traveling, I'm very, you know, I'm usually spending what, I think it's 2019, I spent half my year away. So basically, I spent 180 days in the UK because um, I, you know, the amount of time I see my children. But if that became 90 days, what else have the holidays? The kids can come out to Antigua, which isn't such a bad thing for them. <laughs> Not at all. It's really beautiful there. I absolutely love Antigua. 360 beaches on the island. You would have to spend a day on a beach for a full year to go over everything. A lot of beautiful sailing. Uh, it's amazing. It's a really cool place. What's real estate like there? Um, it's actually pretty developed Honestly, there are a lot of beautiful villas, uh, apartments, all kind of price ranges, obviously. I would say it's definitely cheaper than the U.S. in terms of real estate. And what about healthcare on these islands? Private private healthcare is not bad at all. But again, um, depending on what exactly you're looking for, I'm not like super familiar on what exactly they're good at and bad at. Yeah, that, I guess that would be a consideration. I mean, I don't have particularly bad health apart from my back, which is now fixed. But it's one of those considerations because if you do end up spending a lot of time there, you, know, you would have to. I would have to consider. See, it's one of those things. I don't know if it's a place where I'd want to. You know, a bit like Rao Powell over in the Caymans has a place. It's a place whether I'd want to have a place there and actually base myself there a lot of the time, or if it's just that I want the past one is somewhere I'll be like, you know, a week here, a week there, and you know, travel around the rest of the time. I guess that's something i'd have to have to have a think about but yeah that's so yeah because i think what i'm trying to get to katie is the point there's a there's a difference between having a passport and then also treating it like uh, a primary residence as well because i guess some people just want the passport but other people actually want to go and live there most of the people just want the passport and don't actually go to even visit the island some of them just visiting out of curiosity but uh, again, that depends on do you want to place yourself as a resident of the country and actually go there, establish the residency, get your bank account set up, get your uh, driver license, your um, mailing address set up, and then place yourself there while also traveling around. Like, I think for you, that would be a very reasonable step. And I think it would be pretty convenient too. again, direct flights to UK and US. Um, I bet you could fly to El Salvador through Panama from the island as yeah, well. Yeah, so. you can. You can do. This is getting really interesting. <laughs> this is getting super interesting. Okay, is there anything in terms of these islands that uh, has there been any rejection by locals that people are doing this, that people are getting passports to the country that they can pay for them? Not at all. And um, that's what I always say. Like People say it's dangerous, um, there is crime there and all that stuff. Again, look and like follow the money, follow the incentives, right? Like they like you to come to the island, bring your money and spend your money there. Like they waiting for you, you're their income. And now as like as their tourism has been shut down for quite a while, like they basically survived on selling passport. Like that's where their income comes from as a as a nation. So they're pretty welcoming towards that. And uh, I spent quite some time on the island and I'm like super white blonde girl and I was very welcome uh, everywhere. I asked a lot of questions about everything. 
um, about local crime, um, local like shootings or anything like that, about their opinions on marijuana and all that stuff. Like it was just interesting to talk to local ta- taxi drivers all the time. And uh, they were pretty cool. Like I never had any issues. It's a, it's a real opportunity to live out the sovereign individual thesis. A lot, a lot of what Robert Breedlove talks about, that I spoke to him about, you can truly become a sovereign individual individual and a digital nomad of sorts. I mean, look, I'm not going to do this, but I guess if my business was entirely Bitcoin-based, uh, I could just become a digital nomad. I could take my payments in Bitcoin. And would I even need to register a company somewhere? Would I even need to have a company? You would need to not talk about it if you if you didn't. But, well, I wouldn't uh, do it anyway. But but no, but I'm just <laughs> no, but I'm just wondering, like, if you are a digital nomad, um, do you have to have a do you have to have a company somewhere? Like, how how where is the jurisdiction on where you have to have a company? Because it seems it's like that would be a gray impossible. area. Yeah, yeah, if you're a digital nomad, you just like you don't understand how it works for you, how the laws apply on you. And interestingly enough, they don't understand how the laws apply on you. Like, again, as a Russian tourist in the US, I was able to get all my bank bank accounts without social security number, which is impossible for a US citizen. Like, they would never open a bank account for them without, without social security number. So now you're traveling the world, you as a non-resident or non-citizen of the country, you can do a lot of things that citizen cannot. And then they just clearly like do not understand how to apply all their internal laws on you because you're just a tourist traveling here for a couple of weeks. So again, as the world becomes borderless for us remote workers and people with borderless money, like the borders, like we don't see the borders anymore. And because of that, the borders will start to fall. And like, again, sovereign individual, the life and death of nation state. Like, that's what they talk about there a lot because borderless money, borderless jobs. What's the point? Like, the gatekeepers are not, no longer there. They cannot grab control as we cross border with our wealth. They cannot grab control when we work with foreign individuals. So that's beautiful. I'm, I'm all for it. The fuck you money and fuck you passports. Hell yeah. But the great thing about this is because um, one of the really sad and depressing things that I've come to realize as I've gone further down the Bitcoin rabbit hole is the overreach of government, right? Like I'm not an anarchist, people know that. And I'm, I'm not a libertarian. I, I like a lot of what libertarians stand for. I, I think uh, I, I agree with a lot of their ideas. Um, but I also, I've still, and look, and I know people are going to respond negatively to this, but I still look at someone like the UK and think, how do you coordinate, coordinate 60, 65 million people, run borders, et cetera, without some form of centralization and government uh, governance? At the same time, I think our government is truly terrible and, and, and uh, poor at their job. But this kind of, this starts to create the competition where the government becomes a service provider. And it's, it's early now. It's probably not seen too much of a threat. But as more and more people start to realize that actually governments are a service provider, I'm going to go to the government or the jurisdiction that gives me the best service, and I'm going to arbitrage that, then it maybe will force governments like UK governments to reconsider how they operate. I mean, the UK itself has a great opportunity right now, being having left the EU um, to service Bitcoiners. It's not going to, but it does have that opportunity. But that Government as a service provider is really interesting. Oh, absolutely. Like I position Plan B Passport as a company that's helping to accelerate the involvement of free market between the nation states. And like this is the philosophy I believe that stands behind my company. And like I'm trying to spread it throughout only employees so they would understand why we do that. They're not just helping people to get the passport. They're evolving the competition of free market here. And uh, I do believe it's going to backfire in those governments not trying to compete just thinking they're way too powerful to lose here like that's what they mostly think but that's not the case like we've seen it happening like again sovereign individual describes the fall of uh german wall and like that's that's really interesting and that's gonna be happening like it will have to happen with them and they have no play in that because they thought they were too powerful Oh, there's so much to think about, right? Okay, uh, your business, you must be getting pretty busy. Oh, yeah. It's been very interesting. 
couple of months. I mean, it all started with COVID when I started seeing a huge spike because people realized that like, okay, I do not have the power that I, the power and freedom that I thought that I had. So I need to look into another passport just to get out of my country in case shit hits the fan like that again. Then we had a U.S. election, which half the country was unhappy with the results. So they all were like, okay, I'm, I'm rage quitting that. I'm no part of it. Then Canada is going full socialist. So Canadians start, start um, you know, getting out of Canada. Australians being locked down uh, for, what, 18 months. They can't leave the country without a special permission. Like, this is crazy. And now, you know, Bitcoin started skyrocketing since uh, since December, what? And Bitcoiners are jumping on that train, too. So um, I've been definitely busy, loving it, loving spreading the word of fuck you passports. It's exciting. Fuck you passports. I love it. I think we should call this show and release it, fuck you passports. Uh, Katie, um, I want to become a customer of Plan B Passports. How much does it cost me? I'm not saying how much it costs me. I'm expecting some kind of special price. I will pay full price. But what does it cost to work with you guys? My service is $20,000. And the price okay. that I mentioned included my included my cost as well, my price as well. So 180 okay. grand would be 150 donation, then due diligence fees, passport fees, um, government forms fees, $20,000 of my fees. And like, I will send you a full price on every island so you would see a complete breakdown and compare. I guess it's one of those things I could do myself, but like, it's so not worth it because you take it all off. It's a bit like trying to sell your house on your own. It's an absolute pain. You always want to go with the expert. It's funny. This probably sounds all really staged, but uh, we should be very clear that uh, last time we spoke about this, it was very different. I was thinking uh, very different things. Um, okay, you you need to sign me up. You literally need to treat me as a customer and send me all the details after the show because I absolutely want my second passport. Um, as I said, for multiple reasons. Um, but I can see, I don't need it now. Um, I can see from about May next year, uh, this becomes really beneficial to me. Uh, and getting that work in place to do it now uh, seems to be good. Can you pay in Bitcoin? You can pay in Bitcoin for due diligence fees and my fees, but the donation itself has to go from your bank account to their bank account. Antigua, yeah, actually, the country that is kind of trying to move forward with accepting donation in Bitcoin, and they, I know they did a lot of internal work on that, but they didn't pull the trigger to actually start accepting that. So I'm keeping my eye on that, and I'm constantly talking with other governments, authorities in order to start making that happen. And obviously, it, it's just hard for them to get their head around that in terms of, okay, how do we do AML? And you try to explain them that AML actually is possible to implement a Bitcoin network and all that stuff. And you're still asking for a source of funds and proof of funds. But uh, it's just a whole new world for them. And it takes a hardcore Bitcoiner who understands the the technology behind it and the philosophy behind it to actually be like, okay, we can do that. We can make it happen. But the governments are not efficient, right? So it takes them forever to realize that and to move forward with a new program. But it really makes sense for these countries to become Bitcoin countries like El Salvador is becoming. It really um, does. Because also... You know, I could really see myself just kind of like hopping between these Bitcoin-based countries. For because sure, sure. That, I guess that's another part of the arbitrage in that it, it, you're taking advantage of the second passport. You're taking advantage uh, of the fact that you can move your business tax-free. But also, there's kind of like one of the reasons I like going down to El Zonte in El Salvador is that it is a Bitcoin town. The whole town understands Bitcoin. You know, you don't have to... You know you can use your Bitcoin there. You know there's an ATM. You know the people accept Bitcoin. You know everyone understands it. It just kind of makes sense. If you, if you had that in Antigua, say if, if you had that in Antigua but none of the other islands, that's like an instant win. It's like, well, I'm just going to pick Antigua because they get Bitcoin. Um, Interestingly enough, Roger Ver tried to make St. Kitts and Antigua a Bitcoin islands and then obviously Bitcoin cash islands. Um, and there yeah. are a lot of... Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash ATMs there. And they've 
they're definitely more familiar with Bitcoin than any other countries that I've been to, maybe other than the US. So like they did get exposed to that, but there's no um, like there's no infrastructure in place just yet. But I think like the more Bitcoiners getting passports there and actually moving there and establishing residences or have residences there, like it's going to become a thing. Like they provide us with what we need uh, in terms of no lockdowns right now, for example. St. Kitts actually went crazy again with the lockdown right now. But Antigua, St. Lucia, accepting all tourists, fully booked. Everything is great there. So they give us freedom. They give us good tax regime. And like, we will bring the infrastructure. That's what Bitcoiners do. Like, that's what happened mm. with Strike. Like, El Salvador was welcoming to Strike. And now the whole country is going to benefit from the infrastructure that Jack is bringing down there. Like, we're going to bring value too. And um, I think they should rec recognize that too. Right. Okay. Well, listen, there's some actions post this. This, this is almost like we've recorded a uh, like the first step. There's some action poses. We'll discuss that at the end. But is there anything I've not asked you about or, or we've not considered a part, of this, a part of this? I think we're good. We covered a lot of things that Bitcoiners usually ask questions on. Uh, obviously, I always talk, to, talk about citizenship-based taxation, which is United States uh, thing, which is absolutely terrible, I think. Yeah, that's um, a global thing, right? Unless you... You can, you can, the only way, you, so my understanding of this is, tell me if I've got this wrong, because I only learned about this soon. If I leave the UK and I go and live in another country, I get non-DOM status. I don't have to pay tax in the UK anymore uh, unless I break my non-DOM status. But if you're a US citizen, you go and live in another country, you still have to pay taxes in the US. But my understanding is you have to pay the difference between the taxes of the two countries. You don't have to, you don't pay double tax. Well, it depends. Mostly, yes, you can you can exempt hundred ten thousand dollars a year of your income to the United States, and then you do pay extra if, let's say, you're living in a good tax regime country, and um, you paying like twenty percent less than what you would pay in the U.S. You would still have to go pay that. But now the the ugliest thing about all that, like you can still opt out by renouncing your U.S. citizenship which is a huge deal right like you're basically mm. saying no to your home birth country and being like i'm out of here but even there they got a really big gatekeeper in place so if your um if your net worth is higher than two million dollars you will have to pay exit tax on all your asset which is 40 percent including your house including your all your assets that you have like no matter in which country and things like your pension, like everything, basically. They count all your assets in dollar value and just grab 40% of it. So basically, you cannot opt out of you of the US um, if you're rich. Well, you can, but it's damn expensive. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, look, 55% of my listeners are US-based and they're going to be listening to that. And some of them are going to be... I imagine there's a, a, a decent amount that maybe will be within the... Yeah, you know, whatever lower band to to that two million mark. Who might be thinking, hold on a second. If we go through another ten x here, I could be there with twenty million of Bitcoin. Like that's a real risk to me, especially with horrible, vile companies like Chain Analysis providing the government government with data on what assets people own. So there's like there's a real incentive for some people to start thinking about that right now. Uh, that is a big issue. Letting your residency go. I mean, I wouldn't give a fuck for the UK. I'd absolutely drop mine. But I wouldn't keep it. Just, I wouldn't. I wouldn't accept those uh, tax conditions. I would just, yeah, goodbye residency. But that's me. I, I don't really care anymore. But that is a big issue for people to think about. Well, I think, uh, Katie, I think people are going to have questions naturally. Questions that I've not asked. They're going to want to ask you. They're going to want to reach out. I know you're going to be happy to hear from people. How should people get in touch? K a t i e at plumbypassport.com. So, Katie. Katie the Russian on Twitter. My DMs are always open. You don't have to have a profile pic or a name in your profile to ask any questions. So anonymous questions are super welcome. And on my website, you can schedule a 30-minute free consultancy. Again, no names needed. Just come in and ask your questions. Hold on. I just got a 50-minute consultancy, nearly an hour. <laughs> we okay? <laughs> We're going to let that one slide. 
Anytime. Happy to help. Anytime. All right. Well, listen, look, uh, I want to be a customer. So uh, once this call's finished, send me all the details and let's, let's get on with it. Jesus, this is weird. Let's do this, Katie. Sounds good. Appreciate <laughs> all right, it. Good, no, no worries. Look, good to see you. You know I love you. Hopefully I'll uh, get to see you again in person soon. And uh, maybe it'll be in Antigua of all places. But listen, I'm going to share it all out in the show notes. I'm going to hammer this out there. I will tell everyone how it goes. And yeah, good luck. I love what you're doing. I love your work, Katie. Thank you. All right, come on. How cool is Katie? Now, I'm definitely going to be looking into this further, and I really think that Katie is head of the curve with her company, and more and more people are going to be looking very seriously at this in the future. I mean, if Bitcoin does what we expect to do in the next five to ten years, just the tax implications alone make this a super attractive option. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. If you want to find out more, then please head over to whatbitcoindid.com and check out the show notes. If you want to ask any questions, you can jump into my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show, just head over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Outside of that, it's Monday. It's a new week. Got a lot to do. Going to be heading out on the road again soon. Anyway, love you all and I'll see you all on Wednesday. 